0: So we're nearing the end of our series walking through the life of David. Next week we finish it up and so at this stage we know that we're meeting David in his later years. I would encourage you throughout this week to reflect on what God has been speaking to you about over this series. Reflect over David's life. How has that shown you more of Jesus? What has it revealed to you? To help you with that, we're going to read a psalm a day together, Monday to Friday, this incoming week. And it will go out on Instagram in the morning, and you'll actually have already got a PDF of it in Friday's email to follow along if you don't use social media. It's just a really simple way to engage with scripture together over the week, to engage with some of these words that David wrote about God over the week together as we finish up. Maybe you already have a rhythm of how you spend time with Jesus in the morning, that could be through Rooted, it could be through something else, but for this week, why not add this in? Our hope from this series was that it would carry on that ever-present process of formation in us, forming us, our, our identity, to be more like Jesus. We live in precarious times, all the time actually, but it's been front and center for us over the last few months. None of us knew that so much could change, that so much could be shaken, that so much could be insecure. This is certainly a time of revealing for us. Today, we're talking about security. Because when you look to the life of David, when you read his words, his his story, his Psalms and his prayers, you see that he was a man who was secure in his identity as one loved by God, which maybe you don't think that's a big thing. I mean, he's King David, after all, he's in the Bible. Of course he's secure that God loves him. But yet I marvel at it, because what we've seen is that David was the last choice, looked down on by his brothers, spent years on the run and in hiding, was nearly killed many times, had a huge moral failure, arranged the assassination of someone else. And yet, yet he stands secure in his identity as one dearly loved by God. How? I don't think it's ignorance. The Psalms tell the story of someone unafraid to cry out, why, to God. Nor is it arrogance. He faced both the reality and the consequences of his failings. He didn't ignore them. David both knew and felt deep security in his identity as being one who is dearly loved. It's even in his very name, which means beloved. We're going to look at a song that David sings in 2 Samuel 22. It's called David's Song of Praise. And there's something really interesting about it, because because of where it is in the chronology of David's life, we know at this point he is old when he sings it. But it's not the only place that this song appears. It can also be found in the book of Psalms. Psalm 18 is pretty much the same psalm. In our translations, we might find some discrepancies in the words, but because of the subject, that it's a song of praise after deliverance from King Saul, we know it's the same one. So this is not the first time that he has sung this, used these words. And the first time round, it happened much, much earlier in his life. He was a young man when he first penned these words. Here in his later years, we saw him draw on a song from a very different part of his life, with different circumstances when he was a different person. As we read it, I want you to remember that and remember what you know of David. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm just going to focus in on one sec- one section. This is 2 Samuel 22, starting at verse 17 through to 31. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has, a, has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the devious, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. You, Lord, are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against any troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. Coming back to something from Your younger years, when you're a little bit older, is always a really fascinating experience, I find. Like revisiting somewhere that you lived as a child or a teenager when you're older, maybe somewhere you lived as a student or somewhere that you spent a lot of time on holiday. When you return, you see it differently. You remember what you were like then, you remember what your experiences were. One example of something like this that I've had in my head for the past couple of weeks is a song lots of artists that go the distance they re-record earlier songs when when they're older and one that stands out to me is by Joni Mitchell the song is called both sides now and you'll know it because it's one one of the versions accompanies that heart-wrenching scene from love actually with Emma Thompson you know which one I mean it's a beautiful song it was written at uh, first around like 1966 or 1967, and it was first recorded by her in 1969. So she was around 23, 24, whenever she wrote it. And in the year 2000, she included a re-recording of it in her album by the same name. So it's the same song, 34 years apart. One by a burgeoning young artist in her early 20s, the other by a seasoned performer in her late 50s. The two versions are poles apart. The words are the same, but they differ in their instrumentation, their tempo, they even differ in key. The starkest difference is in tone and interpretation. You cannot listen to them without hearing the history of those 34 years in between. It's in her very voice. She is a different woman singing this song in 2000. Why do I tell you that? Well, obviously, for one thing, take it as a prompt to go and listen to some Joni Mitchell. You will have no regrets. Do your own little musical analysis of both recordings. A great Sunday afternoon activity we can compare later. But more importantly, I feel like the song that we read that was sung by David in 2 Samuel, is like his own re-record of an earlier hit, but with a lot of history in between. I doubt this was a random choice of something to use for this occasion. I don't think it was like he got halfway through and realized, oh, I can't really sing this anymore, can I? This, I believe, was a deliberate choice. Not one protesting his own innocence, but one professing the sheer magnitude of God's love and goodness. Because that is something that David does consistently over his life. In every circumstance, whether innocent or guilty, overlooked or on the run, in danger, winning or losing a battle, in full face of his circumstances, he professes the love and the goodness of God. I believe there's something that we can learn from these verses about the security David knew, but also the security that we can know. So let's look. The first four verses, they are totally declarative. He reached down, he drew me out, he rescued me, he was my support. This is unabashed praise of God. All credit goes to God here. And then this first section finishes with a beautiful cadence of, he brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. What a declaration. Why does it end like that? He rescued me because he delighted in me? Wouldn't it be more reverent for David, maybe a little more appropriate to say, he rescued me because of his goodness or because of who God is rather than attach it to something about himself? I believe that David, even more so at this stage in his life, has a deep understanding of God's character. He knows now especially that the delighting is not dependent on him. The delighting is God's choice. You are delighted in, whether you like it or not, God chooses to delight in you. Maybe that makes you feel uncomfortable. Maybe you think you don't really deserve that or you think, so what? That's irrelevant. What good will delighting do on an ordinary day when things are hard? I think we we misunderstand and, and most certainly water down the idea of being delighted in. In this passage we see God's delighting going hand in hand with his might. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The rescue was an overflow from the place of delight. God's delighting in you is not reserved for the happy-go-lucky days. He delights in you on your very worst day. If his heart is truly moved like that towards you in every circumstance, how then would that speak to your security? What would it do to your heart, to your mind, to your perception of your circumstances, to your perception of your past? To know that God chooses to delight in you and his delight is active, not passive. We move on in this section of verses to a bit where um, when you've heard what we've heard about David, it almost feels a little bit awkward to read. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me, I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. We read it, and because we all, like elephants, never forget the wrongdoing of another, in the back of our minds there's a little niggle. Like, well, Technically, I know that you are clean, David. I know that you have been forgiven, but it's a little brazen to say it like that, isn't it? Perhaps this verse deserved some editing at this stage in your life because it's not exactly true, is it? You know, you you haven't kept all his laws. You are guilty from turning from God. And at one point, your hands were anything but clean. Shouldn't you have edited in some caveats? It feels uncomfortable to read these verses, not just because of what we know of David, but because actually more so, it shows us starkly our own ability and desire to stand as judge of ourselves and of others. David is not erasing out his past here and saying it didn't happen. The grief he will have felt at the loss of his son, and knowing that that grief wasn't just reserved for him, it was Bathsheba's son too. On top of the turmoil that he will have endured, knowing he took the life of another, those will have lasted him for the rest of his days. He's not erasing his past. And it's also not a barefaced challenge to those around him, convincing them of his justified state. It's not actually about David at all here. That's not the point. It's about who God is. It's a hymn of praise to God, not an attempt to sage people or even an attempt to give himself peace of mind on his own. The key here lies at the very end of that section, verse 25. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness, in his sight. In his sight. The rule of judge here is lifted off David, off others, off us, and given rightly back to the one who is the only true and fair and just judge. Justification from yourself is fickle. Justification from others will be selective. Justification from God is complete and lasting and reliable, able to weather any storm you manage to throw up. The key is it's in his sight. So it was never up to David. And it's not up to you to decide if you are forgiven or redeemed or free once you've brought yourself truthfully and openly before God. I think, I think that's how David was able to sing these words because he had come to believe that these words could still be true about him. And this marvel had very little to do with him, and it had everything to do with God. And for us, today, an even greater security is ours because of Jesus. Jesus accomplished once and for all for us what in David's time had to be atoned for again and again through ritual sacrifice. Our security is firm and secure forever, full stop. If you want to read some more about that, spend some time in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. I just want to bring out one section this morning from Hebrews 7. It can be a little confusing to come in cold, so what it's talking about here is things that the priests of the day would have done in the temple. They would have been sacrificing on people's behalf before God, and how with each new priest it was kind of like a restart. But Jesus brought a security to our standing with God that is so crucial for us to get. This is Hebrews 7 at verse 22. Jesus has become the the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many of these priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law, appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. He is able to save, to rescue completely those who come to God through him. Your identity as one dearly loved is held safe and secure in the sight of God because of Jesus. I guess sometimes though, be hard to trust that, right? Like isn't that the question that we come up against from ourselves or from others time and again? But how do you know? How do you know for sure? And the process of coming to the knowing and the assurance is a process and a journey, so don't despair if you're still getting there. For me, I see it as a question of illumination. How did David know that he was secure. How did he live secure? I believe the answer lies in the final section of those verses we're looking at. At verse 29. You, Lord, are my lamp. The Lord turns my light, my darkness into light. What is illuminating the path of your life? What is its source and is it reliable. Like really consider that. Because there are so many things that are vying and maybe succeeding to illuminate your life. And most of them are not actually bad. They just aren't the true light. Whatever illuminates your life affects how you see everything. It affects everything. Your money or your lack of it is not your light or your security. Neither are your relationships or your job or your possessions or your family or your house or your car or whatever, your social media feed. The the list is literally endless. Your security, the light of your life is found only through Jesus. And we see this again and again in the stories of Jesus in the New Testament. We read it here in the Psalms, but listen to this. Matthew 4, verse 16. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. John 1, verse five. The light, Jesus, shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 8 verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Security is not about us, it's about God. If security was dependent on us, we would live lives of constant and complete unsettling. But dependent on God, we see that we are delighted in. He chooses to delight in you even when you're not in any way delightful, even when you shrink back. So maybe today you need to receive that, to wipe the shadow of shame away and receive God's delighting in you. According to your own sight, you will be all manner of things, good and bad. That change is the wind. But according to God's sight, you're justified. So step off the seat of judgment for yourself, maybe also for others, and approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that you may receive mercy and find grace in your time of need. And ultimately. It just, as we would expect, it points us back to Jesus. Our our light in whom there is no darkness. None of the darkness in your life is dark to him. None of the darkness in our world is dark to him. And though I don't understand it, it brings me hope. He is our light if we choose it. This, this lifelong security, it does require something of us. I think what it requires us, or invites us to, is to return. I imagine David saying these words again, full of thankfulness that he knew they were still true. And full of remembrance also of the things that made them harder to say he knew he wasn't the same. Of course he wasn't. The thing is, we're not returning to ourselves here. We're returning to God who though we change, does not. I think back to that song by Joni Mitchell that I spoke about earlier. If she had sung that song in exactly the same manner, with exactly the same inflection 34 years on, it It would have been like a vain attempt to regain something. It would have been untrue to herself and to her experiences. It would have been like trying to gloss over all the things that caused her to sing those words in a different way. For David, I don't believe that God was interested in an edited version of this praise. David's praise was all the more beautiful to God because though it may have been colored by his experiences, the assurance of its truth came from David's belief in who God was. And I think it's the same with us. God is not interested in an edited version of your praise. He is interested in you coming before him as truthfully and honestly as you can. I believe that there is a call and an invitation to us this morning to return to God with all our hearts, to find our security in him, only in him, knowing that we are delighted in. In his sight, we are worthy and that in Jesus, we have the surest light to guide us and direct us and to eliminate our path let me pray so jesus we need you we recognize the places where we've tried to edit the things that are harder to look at in our life And often we fail to bring those things before you so we want to do that this morning we want to bring before you the things that are perhaps the hardest for us to look at and to look for your true light to eliminate those things Jesus we need you to turn our darkness into light we need that for our world right now, but just always. And we need that for our lives. We need to know, Jesus, that we are delighted in. Father, we need to know that when you look at us, you see the perfection of what your Son accomplished for us reflected on us. So Holy Spirit, come work something in us we give you permission we don't want to leave the same and we don't want to try to be the same come and do what only you can do in our hearts this morning amen